0: Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track analysis, and delve into the music and lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in.
1: Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Shane. And I'm Trevor. On this podcast, we take turns picking albums to discuss and review. One of us chooses an album from this calendar year, and the other chooses an album that's been around a while.
0: But today we have something a little different. Rick Ganju is a musician and founding member of the ensemble Ganfunkel. Ganfunkel is a Bay Area band who have been releasing albums since 2014 and have just released a two-song EP called God's Creation. Rick was kind enough to agree to come on the show today and talk about these songs and his music. Rick, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Rick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself when you started getting into music and tell us a little bit about Ganfunkel?
2: Sure. Well, I come from a musical family. Not so much my parents, but all uncles, cousins, all play music, sort of semi-professionally. So there was always music in the household growing up. I think my first instrument, well, I don't think, I know my first instrument was accordion because um, I was nice. promised a drum set. I was promised drum lessons. And and my parents were very, uh, they recognized my independence when I was very young, but they always like accompanied me when I was three or four years old into a store or wherever we went, I was tethered close by. But this one time, the first day of drum lessons, they dropped me off about a block from the place and then just sped off and I I walked that you know block half block to the music store opened the door he said yeah I recognize you you're here for lessons I go in the back room and there are two accordions on two stools and I'm like what is this <laughs> <laughs> and then so for 6 years I played accordion I, I don't know how that came about but <laughs> I still I still have that that's the oldest thing I own
0: was it Hard just I 'm sure the number of women that were just throwing themselves at you with your accordion skills was that was that a challenge growing up? Yeah,
2: I was only three and a half, and so when they <laughs> threw when they threw themselves at me, um, they tended to crush me <laughs> when they, it was a bit of a hard landing yeah. That's funny. So
0: you played an accordion until I thought I was
2: Portuguese what? until I was ten years old because it was <laughs> it was a group class and and the only people in town that took group lessons were Portuguese people. Yeah, I thought I was gonna, you know, move down to Rio someday and and play samba on my accordion. <laughs> Turned out I was Indian when I <laughs> when those lessons were over.
0: <laughs> so you played accordion until what age? No, I still play. <laughs>
2: Okay, and Oh, still, okay, I still cool. play, yeah,
1: nice well, you you said you you played for six years, was that before you picked up another instrument, or were you playing the drums at the same time as well?
2: no, i in middle school, I got into a band and or uh trombone was my instrument, and then that continued through high school, and I would come in early to school and uh just pick up the trumpet and Try to teach myself trumpet, so migrated to trumpet and trombone for a few years. Then I don't know how it came about, but when I was thirteen, I started guitar lessons, and that was life changing. Awesome!
1: Your music has so many different instruments and sounds all layered together. How many? How many of those are you? How many instruments do you play, and what all do you contribute to your music versus pulling? from others or collaborating with friends?
2: Um, I play everything but the drums. I occasionally play the bass lines, but uh, when I want something really special, I, I use a bass player. And there is some sound design that I get help with. And saxophone I don't play. There's considerable saxophone on the new release. So you asked me if... Before we were recording, if Ganfunkel is a band. And I refer to it as a studio collective. So I distinguish a studio, let's say, a studio band from a regular band, and that a studio band just records together. The foreground of their identity is not that band in the same way that, uh, you know, Tom York is clearly in the band Radiohead. But if he were to do something with a regular group of musicians solely for the purposes of recording, that that might be a secondary studio band. You may wonder, well, why doesn't why isn't that a band, and why is it a studio band? Well, it may be that the bass players in Liberia, the drummers in Ukraine, the guitar players in I don't know Los Angeles, and it's just impractical for them to. To ever tour, but they like each other and they like making music together, and so they come together for the purposes of recording, but they're not necessarily committed to live performances and and sort of you know moving around the globe as a pack so that mm-hmm. that's sort of the distinction I would make so it's a it's an intermediate level of commitment right it's not a shared destiny the way that the radio had or the Beatles had a shared destiny for some time in their careers. It's, it's just, uh, a more of a commitment to collaborate when the call comes in. It's not necessarily a closed ensemble, but the same cast of characters show up again and again. Occasionally a new one, one, one can't make it because they're on tour and so but they recommend somebody who would be a very good substitute for the particular style so it's it's not a closed system but it's not totally open and it's got um the ensemble has a a sensibility to it and the style to it
1: so you said you play majority of the instruments but occasionally you'll get a bass player and a sax player on this latest music, and then you said you don't play the drums. Do you guide all of those people or lay out the music that you would like them to play, or do you give them what you have up to that point and say, can you add to this, can you be creative, and add a, add a bass line or, or a sax and intermix it with what I've created already?
2: I tend to sketch out everything, like I'll, I'll pull up a MIDI sax, and I'll write out the sax line. Um, You know, I'll write out a formal chart and I'll send a demo with a MIDI sax so the person gets the idea. But they're all, all the musicians involved are able to improvise and make it their own. I think that there are two different ways in which composition works, and I actually use both of them. So. You might think if you're a listener of this show and you're not a musician, let's say, just to give a generic example, let's say you're a doctor. So what, what that means is you chose to um, become a doctor. That means you started out learning the principles in school of medicine, um, learning the tools, and then interning getting mentored learning to copy those copy to the point where you're using the tools and the principles skillfully and then you go out and you are a practitioner and you might think that music is the same way right that there's training there's goal setting there's training and then there's then there's the doing at the end of it but there's another way of of making music and and you can imagine like If there's a big, let's just not use music, for example, because it's a little more visual to use paint. But rather than painting from your training, you just grab the bucket of paint and throw it against the canvas. So in that sense, the sequence is reversed. You act, and then you reflect afterwards. You would, you wouldn't actually. I know you guys are PTs, like, but you would never do this in medicine. You wouldn't just like close your eyes, reach into the pharmaceutical cupboard, grab a pill, and just say, "Try this, and let's see what happens." You know, like, <laughs> it's unthoughtful and it's unprofessional. But the problem in art is, if you just enact your training, you're going to sound like your teachers, mm-hmm. and. You're never gonna be as you're never gonna be as good as your teacher in the style that styles that they've mastered, and so you're just gonna sound like a mini me, right? So in some sense, to transcend your teaching, I, I don't know, like you have to sometimes just act from instinct. So that's a very long way of answering your question, Shane.
0: <laughs> that's a great answer, though. Yeah, yeah.
2: Sometimes. I'm using my training and providing a schema and a map of things and a set of intentions and asking people to play a a role in my grand design. Other times, I'm just throwing the paint on the canvas, and I don't even know what I'm doing. But there's some space on the canvas for them, and I'm saying i'm I, I'm not even clear on what I've done here but like maybe you can respond on this little part of the canvas that's that's unpainted and react to what I've done And so we're going to act and then we're going to think I don't know if you've seen Jack, old black and white video of Jackson Pollock painting my what I take away from it is that, there's an element of chaos, there's an element of just the paint hitting the canvas, but then he bends down and does something with it, and gives some, some order around what's just... He reacts to it and gives some, some order or some shape to just drips. And so that's another way of, of working. It's highly instinctual it's yeah it's very it's it's so i I use both and you might think well in some songs you do one and sometimes songs you do the other but sometimes i actually am doing both in one so too many wildfires is a good example Some of it comes from i don't I don't want to use that word unconscious because I don't know where it comes from, and I don't even really know how to define that, but it comes from some somewhere deep instinct, and then I'm reacting to it, and sometimes I'm reacting from also from instinct, so it's instinct on top of instinct, but sometimes it's very formal training that's reacting to it and saying, "Ah, oh, I see, I hear a choir here, and I write out the choir and there's proper voice leading and all of that so.
0: As you've progressed as a musician, do you think you tend to lean more on one version of that creation versus the other, or is it always a pretty even mix of those
2: things? I think I'm moving more towards more instinctual experiments. The you that you want to identify with is the professional you that's thoughtfully and skillfully acting as a result of all that training and experience. But there's also a you that if you're, put in the, if you're put in, like, sort of strange environments, spontaneously has to navigate and make choices. Maybe they're not even choices, they're just instincts or impulses. And you may discover that, like, wow, I really like that one thing. If you go to music school, the training kind of, unfortunately, kills the natural intelligence that you have. Like, it's lost, who you are gets lost in all that training at least that happened to me when i went to music school because they're they're spending so much trying time trying to get you to copy the masters and so i i do look for um situations where that whatever that natural intelligence was in me it has a chance to come out and sometimes you know it's hard for that to come out i'm i'm I want that to come out, but it's hard for that to come out. And one of the main reasons I want it to come out is the masters have already done their master. They've already, you know, you're never going to write a, a fugue better than Bach. You're never going to write a symphony better than Mahler or Beethoven. So
0: Right. So even if you had Beethoven or Bach as your teacher... The best you could do if you're following them to the T is being a slightly worse version of them instead of whatever you could be.
2: (laughs) That's why when you turn on the radio, it sounds like it sounds like music you've heard before, and that's the same for jazz. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say, but if I turn on the jazz radio station, it yeah, it sounds like do 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 yeah, like all right, eh, you know, you copied your master, and now you sound like him.
0: I've heard people use that phrase you've got to know all the rules before you can break them. Hmm. I don't believe that. Yeah. So I'm curious to see if that jives with you. No, I think, um,
2: I think some, sometimes it's good not to go to school. Like, I don't think that Kurt Cobain went to music school, but he was really in touch with like raw instincts. mm -hmm. There is a, let's posit that there's a raw wild part of you and that everything about society, like, doesn't want that to come out <laughs> but if you can find a way for that to come out and channel that through art you may actually have something special
1: that's really interesting to th- to to think about that that whole idea of following your instincts versus being trained or instructed on how to do something quote unquote the right way i know with within the field of medicine you mentioned doctors and i'm sure other areas of the sciences. There's a, a quote that I think about a lot that novices tend to gravitate toward methods, but experts rely more on principles within a bigger system. And I, I think when you become an expert, it allows you to be more spontaneous. But at least in my field in therapy, physical therapy, there's still a framework that without that you probably wouldn't be able to instinctively do the things needed to do to help somebody. Maybe art and music is the exception to that. But I also think that you know in in some sense it's probably part of your subconscious, but any new idea is somehow old ideas that have been reworked or twisted or bottled up differently, repackaged into a new product that maybe you don't even realize it, but Somehow all the experiences in your life combined with your genetics and natural instinct to do things inspired you to create or do whatever it was, um, you know, that came out as the product at the end. So, I mean, it's just interesting to think about the requirement of both training and some, some knowledge and spontaneity or instinctual, uh, learning and what percent is required to to be successful, you know, in, in any different space of life?
2: I I really liked how you said what you just said, Shane. I I mean, you know, the person who came up with the second law of thermodynamics after the first law of thermodynamics was, you know, established was probably a physicist, right? I mean, it wasn't like uh, a guy tinkering in the garden who had never contended mm-hmm. with any of the. The literature up to that date so you learn the principles you learn the tools you learn to imitate and act skillfully i do think you can come up with new tools that there are definitely people square is a great example of a musician who he's made new tools like he's a toolmaker that's made new tools and expanded the vocabulary of music because of that and so that is one way of doing it and so there's real creativity there's real innovation there and you can find a new principle Like I think in physics, like at some point they discovered the nuclear force, the strong nuclear force, you know, the force holding the nucleus of the atom together. So you can discover new principles. But I just think that in our, at least what I'm trying to do to some extent is find the part of myself that's sort of wild and see if that can come out.
0: Well, I think that comes through in your music, and I've been listening to Gan Funkel since I've Known You, and these last couple songs that you released, I think really shows that progression. There's a lot of different sounds. You know, Shane was just listening to you for the first time over the course of this last week, get to know your music, and he was texting me today. Just, wow, all these different sounds and influences coming through, but I think especially I can see the growth on these, these last few couple songs that you wrote for this project. You titled these two songs together, God's creation. Can you tell us about that title? Is that a reference to you and the way you think about yourself? Prince is Prince and
2: Bruce is the boss. Uh, Frank Sinatra is the chairman of the board. (laughs) I'll just take God. (laughs) No, no, actually, one of the issues I, I have is I put out new music and people keep listening to the old stuff i don't know how that is like maybe the algorithms on pandora like they get locked and fixated on something someone liked years ago and they they tend not to put new music in your feed and so i'm just imagining the person who maybe is hearing this podcast and going well let me check out some Canfunkel and they have six or five or six or seven album titles and they see one called god's creation well that's probably got it that's Sounds like it's one I should check out. You
0: can't pass that up. You can't
2: pass that up. <laughs> so it's a shameless attempt at getting new new people to, to actually check out the new stuff. Because the older stuff, it has more reviews on Amazon. It has more reviews on iTunes. It's, it's more embedded in the algorithms. And it's just like, I don't know why people don't listen to the new stuff.
1: <laughs> you could have just titled it something like, the best songs, <laughs> then maybe they would listen to those first.
0: <laughs> best, no, I, I like Ganfunkle. it. I like it. That's yeah. cool. And what about the name Ganfunkel itself? Can you tell us about how that title came about?
2: Oh, I honestly don't remember. I think I was just hanging out with one of my best friends, and we were throwing names around, and I, I don't know. I just just decided to sti- to stick with it.
0: Yeah, it's a good it's a good name. Every once in a while I have to read really closely just so I'm not putting on Bridge Over Troubled Water every time I...
2: Yeah, it was. it's I'm a mistake sure in that, word, that but, sense because if you Google...
1: Yeah, it'll say, did, did you mean Art
0: Garfunkel? Yeah. <laughs> what can I do?
2: There's too much inertia now for me to get rid of it.
0: <laughs> and then in terms of the choice to just have these two songs underneath this project title, is it an EP? Would that be a appropriate thing to call this
2: i don't know look i mean we're all of of the age here on this podcast that we remember the days of going and getting excited about uh, a new release because you heard a great song on the radio and then you go buy the thing and there are 10 shitty songs and one good one (laughs) just like never wanted to do that so there are more tracks that they just didn't make it like why should I do that? Why should I put out three or four bad filler ones just to make it seem bigger? It's two good ones emerge. That's
0: Yeah, I think that's like, that's a good I way to know. do it. Especially in today's day and age when you can do that, just put out a song and and have it be listened to immediately. Yeah, why not?
2: There was a time when you wanted to when you put down a side of an album You wanted at least four, before the effort of doing that, getting up out of your chair and doing that, you wanted, I don't know, four or five or six songs to emerge. But today people make their own playlists. So I'm just going to end up being embedded in some playlist, which is 200 songs long or 1,000 songs long or infinitely long, depending on how you set it up. So there's lots of music out there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Quality over quantity, right? That's, right? that's right.
0: The first song is called Too Many Wildfires. And you mentioned that one of the instruments that you don't play is that saxophone. Who is it that's playing the saxophone?
2: Uh, his name is George Brooks. He's a Berkeley-based uh, saxophone player. He has a fantastic sensibility. He is uh, a very good practitioner of Indian Indian classical music, and also an amazing jazz musician. And I think he got the feel of that just right. You know, when we were all growing up, the Environment was relatively stable. The seasons could be relied upon. Uh, I grew up in Canada, so I would say the government could be relied upon to do the right thing. Crops showed up at the right time of year. Uh, Everything sort of functioned in in a predictable and reliable way. And I feel now, I felt when I was making this music that we're in this era where, you know, the president is not a reliable person, you know, there are 33 million acres of forest in California, 5 million, almost 5 million burned. And so, you know, so like the coronavirus, there was, there's so much turmoil so that in some sense, the environment was unstable. I felt like I have to be stable. Like I have to be sane in an insane environment that's different than previous albums where I could be out there and dramatic and crazy or whatever. And no matter how crazy I was, the environment was like there to, I don't know, to, to was there for me. So uh, the imagery that I'm trying to paint, and I, I see this more as a, I feel like it's more like a painting than a, than a song you know they say that we have guardian angels that watch over us but for not to get too depressing here but for you know 300,000 people this year those, those guardian angels didn't do very much maybe they couldn't so the first thing you hear is not that saxophone the first thing you hear are the angelic voices and those are actually major chords but it sounds like they're lamenting because those major chords are run through a warble tape machine and that's that effect there. So the imagery is of them looking down and the chaos in the environment is so bad that even they with their As sort of semi-deities can't do anything. I mean for the millions of the billions of animals that got burned up and for the hundreds of thousands of people who are who perished in and are still perishing in the coronavirus pandemic. There there are very few heroes that are gonna emerge from this. Like I suppose the people who invent the mRNA vaccines are heroes, but for most of us we'll just be survivors. And so I chose the saxophone because it's not a it's not a massive synth, it's not a big Steve Vai guitar. It's it's more it's just a bit quieter. It's the protagonist in the song. But it's not the hero. It'll, it just merely, merely surviving and staying sane <laughs> through this environment that's chaotic, which I'm trying to evoke with the various sounds. The industrial noises that you hear in that intro are actual industrial noises. And that, so that's the sort of reference that at the root of climate change has been the last 200 years of industrialization. So those are the kind of three elements. The sax that sees it all, sees the red sky that we saw that one day, sees the trees burning and sees the hospital rooms full of people, but sees it and is lamenting, but is also trying to transcend that and stay sane and stay maintain some equanimity. So that's the feeling that I think that I asked George to go after. And I think he got it like he really got it. And then there's like a male voice that's chanting. And so that's almost like a Middle Eastern call to prayer.
0: Mm. But
2: even that person trying to pray in a holy place is consumed by the flames. The responsibility is now on us to be sane and maintain our equanimity because we can't really count on the environment anymore to just be there for us as it has been for hundreds of years. That's what I was trying to paint. Like I was trying to paint a picture that that would that was that. And then it becomes more intense and it becomes a dance piece. And moving, you know... Continuing with this element of instability, in, I don't know if you noticed in the bass guitar, it's very grungy and it's out of tune. It's totally out of tune.
0: Ah, oh, see, I didn't notice that. I didn't pick up on that either.
2: That to me, that, that's a, that too is a metaphor for instability because, like, because the bass is supposed to anchor, right? The bass guitar is supposed to anchor the, like the kick drum is supposed to anchor the song. But even that is unstable. But it's like mm. not so unstable that the song's unlistenable. So anyways, those are just some some of the things that were bouncing around in my head. Again, not all of it was intentional and super designed. A lot of it is, okay, I want to paint this picture. And I'm just throwing industrial noises and air sirens and something that evokes the sound of a helicopter. What, what, what's that called? Suppressant, fire suppressant. I'm just kind of throwing these in it just started out actually as just throwing industrial noises on the canvas and then going from there once once there were enough noises on there and then the training came in and said okay let's shape it let's make it a song you know I guess the training has to come in whenever you're working with other musicians because they can't be inside your head understanding your instincts and your angst angst and your the imagery you're going after, the painting you see in your head. So at some point you do have to, the most important part of that training is, is communicating with others, giving them a roadmap for, for working with the piece that, and that, and that map has to include, you know, notes on a staff and time signatures and meters and, and all of that. So at some point in order to include them that, cues and and all of that all of that vocabulary has to come in and and guide them otherwise you know they could just be totally lost as to what's going on
1: yeah i i think it i think it's really fun to hear the the construction of of the song from from the artist and what all went into making that because unlike a a, a song with with lyrics and and words there may not uh be that story that's trying to be told or that, that theme that's, that's obvious to a listener. Of course, there's the title and that gets you in the right frame of mind where you could start to think about wildfires, but all the different nuances, it's really up for interpretation. It's kind of like reading a, reading a book and in your head, imagining what the characters look like versus watching a movie and, and having it, uh, given to you, um, you know, as, as an analogy of the instrumental versus, uh, lyrical music. So that's really cool to hear, um, your take on it.
0: At what point in the year did you start writing the song? You make reference to the analogies to what we're going through with COVID-19 and of course the wildfires itself with the title. Did you start writing this after March when covid began or did it begin before some of that chaos this year
2: some of it was initiated in 2018 in almost a sketchbook format the intro was definitely developed as the year as things got progressively worse beginning in you know february and march
1: i I really like that intro uh for for me being from Iowa from the midwest uh it reminded me of that calm before the storm when you, when you go outside and you feel the temperature drop 10 15 20 degrees you you know there's something coming you're not sure how bad it's going to be but but you're looking up in the sky and it's getting dark and you're thinking okay there's there's definitely a thunderstorm on the way but there's that that feeling of uncertainty uh, and a little bit of little bit of concern, but you're also kind of preparing. And then when you get to that part where the beat drops in the song, to me that was the point where the storm is here. It's hit. What are we going to do about it now? I also, I really liked the contrast between the the jazz lounge type music with some elements of, of EDM and, you know, the beat, the club, the dance type music. Thinking back on your thought process and making the song, it, it is a really good way to try to explain that there's there's this sense of trying to keep things calm in a chaotic environment. So as a listener, I thought, well, this is really cool. Uh, this is fun to listen to, something I wouldn't think to pair well. But now that I know your backstory and, or your your thought process and what those instruments are supposed to represent yeah it definitely uh adds another element to it so thanks for sharing that's pretty cool
2: thank you for sharing
0: and we hear that same saxophone on the second song i believe as well is that george that's playing correct the next song is called blank check paradise can only assume, Rick, that this song is about the money that you received in royalty checks from album divers as we used your music on our outro and promo. Is that correct? Exactly. I didn't mention that. I, I should have mentioned at the beginning that uh, <laughs> Ganfunkel's featured on our outro for album divers. So if you've listened to our podcast, you've actually already heard a little Ganfunkel. But tell us about the title of this song.
2: Boy, that's hard. Um cause that's just me, you know, grabbing words and putting them together and juxtaposing them really. And I mean, what it means to you is as important as what does it mean? What does it mean to me? Maybe you can help me figure out why (laughs) I chose that because it was just okay. I got a blank. I got a paradise. I got, you know, I'm just throwing words together. And then Going, yeah, I like those three words in that sequence. Sometimes I work that way.
0: For me, I was just pairing it with the first song and the Too Many Wildfires. And I had picked up on a couple, maybe, of the metaphors that you talked about with Too Many Wildfires. So the second song I thought of as maybe a reprieve from that. Just thinking, all right, if we could escape this, what would be the best way to do it? Nobody's traveling, nobody can do anything. We're getting minimal checks from the government here in the U.S. to try to compensate for all this chaos and destruction that's going around us. So just the thought of like, what if we had a blank check and we could actually get on a plane and head out to paradise? And so I thought of those two songs maybe as opposite sides of the same coin of what we're all going through in 2020.
2: Well, I think that you're, you're onto something. I really like that because I feel like there was a little bit of that in me. How do we get back to paradise I still experience California as a paradise. So I I really like what you just said. I think you've you've recovered something that was was, uh, an impulse that was in me when I was writing that.
1: I like that. I listened to it without really uh, giving much regard uh, to the title because I didn't want to be too influenced. I think I was on the first title uh, because it was more overt in its message of too many wildfires, but blank check paradise is a little more abstract. So I didn't uh, really take note of that. So when I was listening, for whatever reason, I pictured myself hiking through a, a rainforest with the, the, the sounds that reminded me of waterfalls and streams in the background yeah, and this beautiful scenery. But at the same time, just close enough to the wildlife or having this feeling of uncertainty, this uncharted territory where I don't know for sure what's around the corner, that I was a little bit on edge and a little you know on guard and hearing what you just said, Trevor, about uh blank check paradise and how that would be a, a great thing for us to kind of move on uh from the wildfires and covid and all all the chaos that's going on that that would be uh some ideal thing that we would all want in a sense that's a that's a utopian idea nobody nobody ever gets a blank check uh but in a way it's maybe a bit of you know fantasy you're kind of using fantasy to escape you know all the chaos and destruction that's happening you know, like as a way to cope with it back to the the saxophone like trying to appreciate everything but also keeping us grounded keeping us level in the first song uh, maybe this is a piggyback off of that where uh, you, you can use your imagination to get out of it for a while but there's there's still that chaos in the background because you can't fully escape it.
2: That's really beautiful. Yeah, I see that.
0: I didn't think of it as like Rainforest, but when Shane was making that description, that's what it evokes in me as well. What is the instrumentation at that point?
2: It's an African tongue drum.
0: And who's playing that?
2: Me. That's you, okay. Cool. One of the few times I played percussion on on any of my albums, yeah.
1: What introduces you to some of those instruments? Do you go to stores or conventions just play around or have friends that say, Hey, try this. Maybe you can work this into your music. And are you, are you trying to expand? Like, are there some things maybe you leave behind because your sound has evolved? I'll give you
2: an example of, um, I wrote a song called stars fell on Daniel. It's on my second EP called fighting music with music. What I did was again, I'm trying to transcend my, Training because the training acts as such a pressure, it's just unbelievable how easy it is. It's the thing we revert to, especially when there are time constraints and budget constraints, and what have you. We just revert to our training and our tools. I'm going to connect this to the song, but what happened was I just took a guitar, all right, a six string guitar. I closed my eyes and I just randomly turn the pegs, the tuning pegs until the guitar was like practically unrecognizable. I mean, the bottom string was a C sharp. The middle string was in the fifth string was in a G sharp. And one was an F and like, it was it was like not any tuning anyone had ever talked about before. And then I spent three weeks relearning how to play guitar. But why did I do that? Because it was impossible for me to do anything for my training. All those Jimmy Page licks and Hendrix licks and Clapton licks, I literally couldn't find them Hmm. on this remapped guitar. And so what I was forced to do was just record sounds that felt good. I I had to go past the intellect and go right to feeling, because feeling was the only thing I could rely on. So another way of doing that is to get an instrument you've never played before and spend three weeks or spend three months getting a basic amount of competency and then write a song but not write from theory. Like so you're making a song you're making a sound on the African tongue drum. But you can't you don't have the virtuoso skills, right? You don't have that under your fingers. And so the cho- what determines the choice of one note following the other note is just feeling. Just feeling. Because you don't have that, like, you can't take that theoretical overlay and put it on this thing. So you're not good enough yet. You don't have it mapped out yet so that you can do that. And it's really dangerous. Because then you're just going to sound like all that theory you learned. I don't know if, if that makes sense. So there's a yeah. certain amount of confusion like putting your putting oneself in confusing situations where the only way to navigate that situation is your instinct and your feeling and a little bit of musical training but not too much not
1: mm-hmm.
2: not be so if it's not confusing at all, unfortunately you'll just <clears throat> most often revert to your training and if it's yeah. too confusing, then you're just struggling you're struggling mm-hmm. too hard just to get navigated so it's like it's like for you guys having a having a patient come in that's just that's got something you haven't seen before but you, you but, but you have so you have to stretch yourself to contend with it and it's 50% that stretch and 50% the training you know it's like mm-hmm. there's a nice sweet spot where something new can happen
1: yeah, it's it's almost like too much training uh, say with with the instrument for this example would hinder that natural creativity or the experimentation process that might evoke sounds that or experiences that that wouldn't have been there.
2: Yeah, and it and it forces you to to be a little more simple and just find the sequence of sounds that that are are both beautiful but simple, and that helps one meet the listener halfway. Because if you're a, an amazing virtuoso on some instrument like piano or guitar, there there's a and you play jazz. There's a tendency to just go like crazy with note, mm-hmm. like a million notes a minute. And there are people who like that, but then you're not really meeting that that listener halfway, where they have a chance to absorb it.
1: Yeah, there's that pressure to be elaborate or set yourself apart and always, always push further. But sometimes that le- level of expertise to be considered a virtuoso sometimes creates a sound that although as a listener, you would appreciate it and say, wow, that's incredible. How, how the heck do they do that? It might not be what you enjoy listening to the most, you know, it might be the simple stuff that actually fits better with the song and is more, more useful. Maybe there is skill in that and being able to find simple sounds that are, you know, very pleasant and more useful than the more elaborate, complex use of that same instrument.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, your average listener is not going to be somebody that has the musical knowledge of somebody like yourself or, you know, a guitar virtuoso or something. I've got a a buddy of mine that's really, really good at, at guitar as well and, he listens to a lot of things that are highly technical, and while cerebrally I can appreciate it, and he'll sort of describe, oh, they have to do this in order to make it, I also take a step back, and I'm like, but because I don't understand all the ins and outs of what they're doing, (laughs) it's not that impressive to me. I mean, you might as well say, like, you know, I know this really sounds simple, but I just want you to know this guy was hanging upside down by his feet while he was playing it, and it's like, that is impressive, but it doesn't sound any better to me just because he was hanging upside down with fire underneath him or something like that. It's like, at the end of the day, it's what's pleasing to the ear. And so I think somebody that's got the training and knowledge that you do, figuring out a way to almost get yourself back to a rudimentary level and just focus on what sounds good, you're putting yourself in your listener space.
1: It's kind of like Sommelier trying to convince you to buy this hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine because it's so much better and i'm like yeah but the ten dollar bottle works too and and it (laughs) you know it provides the same experience for me at the end after you know after you get through it so
2: (laughs) you want to go on a hike with a friend and he's an olympic sprinter and so he just takes off like usain bolt and it's like I, that is amazing that you you did the hike in 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, but you missed the flowers along yeah. the way. You didn't see the deer that I saw. Yeah. And
1: I can't keep up. Right. One theme that, that keeps reoccurring that we talk about is the the contrast between experimenting uh, with music and, and letting letting your instincts guide you uh, through that song creation versus relying on, on formal training. Is there a theme or specific event at some point point in time that that inspires you to start creating that music kind of like artists will talk about and i was on this road trip and i saw something or i I had this conversation with this guy and and i thought about this catchy hook and and so i went down i wrote it down real quick and i heard the melody and i started you know to formulate that off of a, a story does that ever happen uh with the instrumental music kind of like with too many wildfires where you were marinating on that idea for a while and then thought I should write a song about this or does sometimes the music take over and guide itself? Is it the music that's in charge or or or, or uh, your vision that, you know, then becomes music?
2: The background is that there's a lot of music out there. I think there I think six hundred million songs have been made. And I don't know how many new songs are released every year. It's probably five to ten million, you know. So look, everything has been done and done a million times. And I think the threshold for me is I, I just enjoy it. I, I just have a great time playing for myself and learning. And if I think something has come along in the sketchbook workshop process that exceeds the threshold where where I'm like this this may actually add something to the literature. The body of music that has come mm-hmm. before. This this is, and it's hard to really add something totally new. The way Hendrix did in the late sixties with his guitar solos, where you're like, "Wow, that is like, that's not just the Beach Boys with a little distortion. That's just that's really out there." Or I think what Squarepusher did in the last twenty years, adding adding so much new digital vocabulary. Something strikes me as actually being fresh. I end up being a servant to the song. It's something like this, like let's say I have I have this. I have yesterday all my blanks seem so far away. You have to find that word. And a lot of it is you have to serve that phrase. So it's yesterday all my issues seem so far away. Yesterday all my problems seem so far away. Yesterday all my bills seem... you know <laughs> it's just what is that word? I know like if I found that word yesterday all oh, my trouble trouble seems so far. You know, it fits. It's that's mm-hmm. you finally find that thing and, and when you yeah. find that piece then the sentence like you're not trying to make music. Anybody can any idiot can make music. There's tons of music out there. There's tons of bad music out there. What what you're actually trying to do as an artist is make magic. That's it. And so sometimes what happens to me is I'm in the workshop process. I'm always making music. But I'm like, if I found the right note or right chord or right timbre or right layer, there might actually be some magic here. I'm pretty close to magic. Mm. And so magic, if you get that combination of magic plus novelty, like really, you're really adding something to the the body of work that's come before.
1: Then, then you gotta share it. You, you gotta, you gotta let that out there. Yeah.
2: You know, even if one person ever listens to it and and likes it, it's it's been it's worth the effort. So that's my threshold for. I mean, I'm constantly making stuff, but making music, like I don't know, that's not it's not interesting. There, there's already too much out there. I think you're really. Mm-hmm. You're looking for magic. and Maybe it only happens once or twice in your lifetime. So I guess the, the answer to your question is when is something worth sharing? Or are you just like live streaming your life which is not interesting anymore I suppose with TikTok and whatever it still is. But to me, it's not.
0: Hey, some of those cat videos are magic. <laughs> some of
2: them actually are, <laughs> you know, when a cat becomes, you know, when like one animal becomes best friend with another and they're of different species that always gets me like a, duck, a duck, like becomes a best friend with a cat and they snuggle together. <laughs>
0: well, I like that description, and so, yeah, now God's creation seems a little more fitting after I hear you describe that process. That's pretty cool.
2: Well, when I'm in that that rainforest that you guys are talking about, not that there's rainforest in California, but there's other kinds of forest, I do actually look at it all and think, well, why not call it God's creation? That's as good of a title as anything. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that's what will be lost if it all burns down. It's not just some trees.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you. You have so many, so many different vibes and a, a ton of diversity in your songs. I mean, it, it seems like they could they could be uh, used in so many different spaces. Have Have you ever pitched your music to different organizations or areas of I don't know life that that might uh, find it useful, like movies, clubs, DJs, video games? Uh...
2: I am in contact with some people in Hollywood. It seems like this could really work for a certain style of movie.
1: Yeah, like so many climactic scenes and the build up, and I mean, there, I don't know. There's so many different different elements I think
0: that could be useful.
2: Yeah, if you're a music supervisor out there, please be in touch if you want to <laughs> use some of this.
0: Rick, what are you working on now? Is there anything else coming out right now? Are you taking a little break?
2: Yeah, oh. there's a song that didn't make it. To the, the latest release called Goodnight David Bowie. It's so close. It's so close. It's at that stage oh, wow. of like, imagine the whole song is yesterday, all my blanks seem so far away. And I literally every night I'm like, issues. <laughs> all my laundry seems so far away. All my all my ex-girlfriends <laughs> You know, I know that if I find the <laughs> one word. The magic will happen this song will be done it is literally one chord away (laughs) i have spent weeks trying to find that one chord weeks i've spent like 200 hours trying to find that one chord oh wow and i've actually said okay i'm going to actually use my theory training and put the theoretical correct chord in there and like that doesn't work it works but it's not magic you know, mm-hmm. it's magic when I don't know why it works. It just, all my troubles seem so far away. Yeah, that's that's it. That's yeah. it. So yeah, I haven't yeah. had that that's it moment, but I'll put it out there as a single.
0: Well, Rick, where all can we find your music? I think I was listening on Tidal and Spotify and where else can people go to hear Ganfunkel?
2: Most major streaming sites, Google Play. I don't know, what, what do people listen to? I don't listen to much music, so I don't know what people use.
0: <laughs> well, I, I know one place they can find it, as I mentioned before, is the outro to our show. So when we close up here, you'll hear Chunky Town. But Rick, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk about these songs, and we've really enjoyed listening to your music.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a, a pleasure to hear your your inspiration and, and uh, what, what moves you to create music. And that that thought process I can tell it's it's very deep you know and maybe maybe parts of it not not even uh, truly known to you or able to describe but it sounds like that's what you're going for with trying to tap into that that wild part of you that you know society wants to to tame or say well you have to you have to do things this way or there's that pressure to conform but um, it's pretty apparent that that you're resisting that and saying no you know what I'm gonna do things differently and um, I think that's really cool it's really
2: special so Thank you. i really enjoyed it. All
0: right. Well, until next time, go listen to a great album. If you're enjoying listening to
1: Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with
0: someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? Email us
1: at albumdiverspodcastgmail.com at and we'll consider adding
0: it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time.